0: Hi, I'm Mo Crum.
1: And I'm Harrison Crum.
0: And we're the Crummy Marathoners.
1: This podcast is for beginners by beginners.
0: If you're thinking about running your first marathon or half marathon or are in the process, this is for you.
1: We realized as we were training that many resources out there expect people to know what they're doing when marathon training. Well, think of this as a marathon training guide for dummies. We'll go through many of the questions we have as we make our way through the beginning of our running journey and what we have learned.
0: If we can inspire others to run a marathon, then we consider this a success. On today's episode,
1: we dive deep into all things food and fueling for runners with Olympic trials qualifier and dietitian, Kelsey Beckman.
0: Everyone welcome to season 2 episode 13 of
1: The Marathon Training for Beginners podcast by the Crummy Marathoners. Woohoo! What's up everybody?
0: Hello, hello. Thanks
1: for tuning in again, again and again and again. You guys are always here for us. Thank you for being here. You guys are the best. <laughs> you really are. And today we are so excited to talk again about food. Food is literally our favorite thing. It
0: is. We're big foodies, especially when we when we lived on the East Coast. Oh.
1: Yes. Ah. Oh. But it was a problem because It
0: was a problem.
1: We gained a little bit of weight.
0: Watch one of those videos. <laughs> yeah, we put it
1: on our Instagram. It was like a side-by-side. It was like our um here's where we were. What's the song? <laughs> oh, for the up song. That's, what I was yeah, that's doing, the background song. Yeah. So yeah, it was like a TikTok trend that was going around. And uh so, anyways, you can see kind of our weight loss journey. Yeah, we put on a few pounds when we lived on the East Coast, but anyways. We tell you all of that to tell you that we are doing Foodie Fridays now on our Instagram. Yes. And we, we made energy, what do you call them? Energy bites or protein there, bites?
0: No-bake energy bites. That's Yeah,
1: that's a good name for it. So if you guys want to know what our favorite snack is, that's super healthy. I mean, I don't want to call it healthy because it's got a lot of honey and sugar in it, but... Well, no actual sugar, but...
0: No, just honey. Just honey. But the thing is, you can sub.
1: You could sub like agave, agave if you wanted to.
0: Or even with... The chocolate chips I use, you can even though they're Lily's chocolate chips, which is a pretty health conscious brand, you can sub like cacao nibs.
1: Yeah, so flax, you could but yeah, you could do a couple yeah. things. It has mm-hmm. oatmeal in it, has peanut butter, so it's mm-hmm. it's pretty solid. So go check it out on our Instagram at Crummy Marathoners. We think you'll really like it. Yeah, we, let us
0: know what you think.
1: Yeah, we challenge you to make it and and try them because we are obsessed with them. Yeah,
0: but yeah, every Friday, so we're gonna do another tried and true recipe. So get excited because this Friday is going to be yummy.
1: Off the heezy.
0: Yeah, you got that yummy. Yum. Oh, maybe that's the song I should use.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we were thinking of doing K pop for everyone.
0: I'm most obsessed
1: fan. with K pop. If you listen massive to season fan. one, you'll know all about her BTS obsession. But now it's hey, expanded it's into not an obsession. It's TXT. An, it's
0: not an obsession. It's an appreciation for their unmatched talents.
1: They're good dancers. There's a lot of auto-tune. Mode. Go- oh, okay,
0: we are just not even going to go any further. Harrison's
1: I told Mo just, she should start a he second is podcast. Just jealous. I think Mo should make a podcast all about like the world of K-pop because she felt like there's a new band every day. It seems like, and she's all there over is. it. Yeah,
0: we could go in and have a deep discussion. I've already discussed this with Harrison. People
1: didn't come to listen to this podcast to hear about K-pop. So hey, we'll, they could. We'll, they we'll, could. <laughs> we'll cut this up for right now. But we want to tell you guys about our Strava group. Yes. If you guys go to Strava, just just search Crummy Marathoners, you're going to see our group. We just launched it like this last week. And we're really excited because there's a leaderboard in there. There's uh, collective miles. So as a group, we get to see how many weekly miles are we running. So super fun. Come on and join us. And uh, we're excited to have you.
0: Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know what Strava is, it's this awesome running app. Mm-hmm. it's very much it's very similar to like map my run
1: yeah but it's a little more social mm-hmm. you can comment and like and give kudos and all and this like stuff
0: Awards. it's really cool so yeah join us see you there
1: yeah so we want to announce the giveaway from last week's or i should say the last episode because it was two weeks ago <laughs> and uh the winners there are two winners
0: oh two
1: pairs of socks so we got a small pair and a large pair which they're super cool yep one has pineapples and the other one has i can't remember But anyways, we'll ship them out to you guys. Um, So the winners are Gabe Lucero and Kyle Coyne. Send us a message on Instagram or go to our website, www.crummymarathoners.com. Yes. Congrats. Plus, we have a new giveaway, guys. Always. There's always going to be a giveaway. Yeah. Until you guys tell us, hey, stop with the giveaways. Uh, but I don't think you're going to say that because these are awesome. So $25 gift card to com. It's the shoe store of choice that we go to. But yeah. if you don't have one in person, then you can just go to their website and they'll ship you whatever shoes that you guys like. Mm-hmm. So super cool. Sunday at midnight Pacific Standard Time. That will be the cutoff. So you know what to do. Send us a note to our Instagram or our website.
0: Awesome. Very exciting. And speaking of exciting things, we received such a great... Amazing, wonderful recording shout-out from our friend Mike.
1: Mike, you're the man. Here you go, Mike. We're going to play your shout-out here.
3: Hey, Harrison and Mo. This is Mike out in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. I'm a recent subscriber to your guys' podcast, and I've been loving it so much. Sometimes I re-listen to your guys' episodes just to retain everything that you're saying. You're covering so much great content. I'm a brand-new runner, and I found your podcast so accessible and helpful Um, I began a weight loss journey in July of 2020, just this past year and was able to lose 40 pounds through it. And I accidentally fell in love with running then partially because of the weight loss, partially because my gym was closed in December. And so I just took a shot at running one day and started doing it more often, started looking up resources for how to do it better, found your guys' podcast and, uh, your guys' passion for, running and and the way that you talk about it together was just so contagious. And it came at a time when I was considering whether or not to run uh, a half marathon or even a full marathon. And so after finding your guys' podcast was when I made the decision. And um, so I've begun training to run a full marathon and really excited for it. Thanks again for all the effort you guys put into this, um, the thoughtful topics and everything that you choose. I've just found it to be incredible. And I'm looking forward to your future content.
0: Man, just so cool. Thank you so much, Mike. I, that was awesome. And congrats on your weight loss journey. I think Paris and I are both so glad to hear that you're training for a marathon and you're just doing it. You're making, you're smashing goals and making, making dreams come true.
1: You're making it happen, man. And and we appreciate the kind words that we played a small part in there, but really this is all you. This yeah. is all your internal motivation to, to change your life. And, and we're super excited to be a part of that journey. Ah. Oh.
0: And you guys see what you do to us, you just make us like so motivated
1: and to keep going. Yeah. And we should probably share a little bit about what we're doing right now, Mo. Like we're we talk all about giveaways and things, but you know, we've had some people reach out, how's our training going and everything. So, Mo, mm. how's your how's your training plan going right now?
0: So, for a couple of weeks I actually had to pause on my on training. It's just was a crazy couple of weeks with the holidays, not that we were going a ton of places at all, but it was just, there was a lot and stuff with the kids. So it was pretty non-existent mm-hmm. and I'm not going to lie. It was very, very, very hard to get back in the swing of things.
1: Yeah. But like, you're back. I,
0: I am. I, like I did a 15 mile run a few Saturdays ago. Yeah. Or maybe it was in December. No, January. I don't remember, but it, I felt great. I felt like it was successful, but I just did an 11 mile run this past Saturday and that was really hard.
1: <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, you're you've been conditioned to run in the in like the winter time, and it was a hot day, and you went like midday. So I think I really think the weather had something to do with it.
0: I know, but you know, so I don't. I I hope everyone knows that even if you feel like you're on the uphill and everything's going great and you're unstoppable, it's 100% normal and should be. I feel like accepted that there are going to be days that are just off. Right. I didn't think 11 miles would be that difficult for me. I mean, I didn't think I'd ever say I would run 11 miles, that it, it shouldn't be that difficult. But anyway, no, but I, it's going well. You're and doing you're great. Back, back on track.
1: You're back on track for uh, Nashville. Yes. April 24th or 5th, I can't remember. As but long yeah. as it's not
0: canceled, yes. But speaking of everyone, Harrison, as soon as I got with my 11 miles, Harrison goes, oh, well, this is really good that you're training during the day in the heat. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, it's going to be like this weather.
1: It's going to be humid. It's going to be warm. And, and there's hills. And
0: he goes, and there's going to be hills. And I'm just, my mouth just dropped. I'm like, you're literally just hitting me with that right now. When I committed to my first full marathon.
1: I I may have kept that information from her. Yes, when she he signed absolutely up. did. Oops.
0: Yeah. What about you? How's everything going, Harrison?
1: It's going really well. And, and you know, I was talking to one of our ambassadors today and, uh, she she made the suggestion that we talk about the kind of the pains and the niggles that we go through and I think that's so important that we stop for a minute and we we talk about how normal that is you know when you're training for a marathon there's always going to be something you may have a week or two where you're just feeling great on top of the world but but like you are going to have shin pain or achilles pain or some mm-hmm. kind of foot pain or or some some kind of soreness and it, it is super important to Really listen to your body and know what's serious and what's not. And we've tried to put out content, you know, when we talked with Dwayne Scotty, you know, he he gave some really good tips about when to know if you should run injured and, and when you shouldn't. So go back and listen to that if you haven't. But for me, it's been, you know, some knee pain lately. And I've been seeing a physical therapist regularly who's been helping me out. My run coach has has been giving me some suggestions to put KT tape on, which has been helping. We can talk about KT tape another day, but basically a elastic tape that kind of helps support your knee. Uh, but yeah, just kind of working through that. But I think the most important thing is just keep going. Don't give up. And if you get a pain and you're able to run through it safely, you know, according to what Dwayne said in that episode, um, just keep pushing through. So that's where I'm at right now.
0: And one more thing I want to add to that is that it doesn't just have to be like a physical pain. It can also be like mentally, if you're just not as focused on your runs or if you seem to get distracted, it's normal.
1: Totally, totally normal. There's always going to be something, whether it's mental or physical. So that's the nature of the beast of Mm -hmm. marathon training. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that's what's going on with us. Um, But we have some really exciting uh, stuff going on on social media we talked about foodie fridays and right now for february we're doing a run bingo which
0: is super cool the ambassadors are amazing
1: this is one of their many ideas
0: yes they're just amazing absolutely amazing
1: and it's not too late if you guys want to join in but um just send us a note on our instagram so yeah we're doing a, a running bingo so go to our instagram and and participate it's super easy Uh, You just do a couple of run challenges, a couple of things. You want to get at least one row, share it to your story, tag us so we know you did it, and we'll enter you in the contest for a $50 giveaway. So Mm -hmm. super excited about that. And
0: we're trying to constantly evolve not only this podcast, but especially this community that we feel that's being built with all of us. And so we really want to have this be like a two-way conversation. So we're going to ask if you wouldn't mind. We're asking if you guys would share an episode with just one person that you think would enjoy it. And just let us know. Let us know if what that person thought or if that person wants to let us know. That'd be super cool.
1: Yeah, if everyone who listens shared our our show, I mean, theoretically, we'd double in size. And I think it would help us get our message out to more people training for their first marathon.
0: Well, and it would just build this community. That's the biggest thing for us is building this community, not necessarily building our brand, but building this community of runners who are at the beginning and who have no shame in that.
1: Exactly. This is for you guys. This is... Also, I mean, Mo and I get so much satisfaction out of doing this and and hearing your stories because it's, of you guys. Beca- exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we polled you all in our Facebook group, and we found that the number one thing that you wanted to hear was all about food and diet nutrition. Yeah, you
0: got that yummy. That's right.
1: And we have a treat for you guys today. So yes.
0: Kelsey Beckman is a marathoner, but not just any marathoner, friends. Oh no.
1: Nope, she is an Olympic trials qualifier. So what? in other words, she's so fast she got to run in the race that determines if you make the Olympics. Mic drop. So yeah. So um we don't feel worthy, but here we are anyways talking to her.
0: Yeah, above, well, I wouldn't say above that, but in addition to that incredible feat, she's also a dietitian and she drops some major epic knowledge on us.
1: Yeah, we've been so blessed to have Britt Giles on the show. Yes, You heard her awesome. in episode two of this season. Um, and now Kelsey. I mean, honestly, the more we can talk about food, we're going to do it. Oh, yeah. Uh, every opportunity we get. Mm-hmm. But we cannot wait for you guys to hear this and what she has to share. So we're not going to give anything away. All I can say is take some notes or listen to the show two or three times if you have to um, when it comes to her interview because she has so much good information to drop here. So here she is, Kelsey Beckman. Mm-hmm. I am super excited to have Kelsey here on the podcast. Kelsey, welcome.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: And it's Beckman, right? Yes, correct. Perfect. Do you go by anything else?
2: That is it until October (laughs) 2021 when I get married, but for now it's Kelsey Beckman.
1: (laughs) Oh, right on. Well, thank you for taking the time. I I actually found you uh, when you were doing a live interview with Dr. Victoria Seckley. That was on her Instagram. And uh, I just found your insights so helpful and so relatable, even though you're an elite runner yourself and a dietitian, And I think you have so much to bring to the table. And I was really excited to get you on the show. So thank you for coming on board.
2: No, I love it. That's part of my passion to talk about nutrition. How do we make nutrition less complicated? Because I think we live in this age where there's so many controversial ideas about food, right?
1: Oh, it's crazy. And especially... Um, and now I'm not exactly sure when this is going to air, but you know, when you talk about the new year, everybody's like, "Hey, new year, new me! I'm going to start a new diet, a new fad, keto, or intermittent fasting, or Weight Watchers, or Noom, or all these different things that kind of uh, pop up." W- what's your opinion on all of that?
2: Yeah, it's so many different moving parts. And I think that what not just people, because you and I are specifically talking about runners of various different levels, um, but I think that like you really have to identify what your number one goal is. And if you're able to identify your number one goal for starting a diet, more times than not, either A, the fad diet doesn't align with your goal, um, or B, there's a lot easier, less restrictive way to do that. That's going to make you feel better, not bonk and just simplify things for you. So that's my frustration around, um, some of those diets. It's almost like with running, I like to use this analogy. Um, if you could just, you know, do simple training, why would you, you know, buy expensive shoes, do a rigorous training plan. If you could get better, just simply putting on your shoes and getting out the door every day.
1: Right. No, that makes a lot of sense and when we talk about things being sustainable being able to do them long term you know i i've got to be honest i've tried the keto diet i've tried uh intermittent fasting and a few of these things and i do great for a week or two or three and then you know or, or even 2 or 3 months and then i burn out and then it, it's as if it was never a part of my life the the weight comes right back so i i think for weight loss yeah that, that there's a lot of people that are going to be trying a lot of different diets but I, and i'm sure in some instances those might be the right fit but for the most part, would you just say it's about making a lifestyle change
2: yeah, and if you think about to your point, it to go on a run for one run or to do one race or to lose 10 pounds, it takes motivation. But I talked about this with one of my clients the other day that you really need to change your system. It can't just be motivation because motivation isn't going to help you in a year from now when your aunt Susan brings her favorite chocolate Christmas treats to your house um, that you just got rid of, you know, the the previous year. And so instead of just it's going to take more than motivation you really have to like identify the behaviors and habits that you do on a day-to-day basis and solve those and just simply saying i'm not going to eat carbohydrates or i'm not going to eat sugar or i'm going to stop eating for the rest of my life at 7 p.m um that's just more times than not not something that somebody can say okay that's how the rest of my life is going to go
1: sure no that that's great and I know for for every runner, weight loss isn't going to be a big factor because there are people that are already in great shape. Um, so then kind of the, the factor of uh, fueling and, and all of that is going to come to play. So we have a lot to unpack today, but before we get into everything, I just want to step back and get to know you a little bit um, so our listeners can understand who you are and uh, where you come from and 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 what you're setting out to do. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah,
2: absolutely, and this might make a lot of sense to you. I'm actually I played soccer growing up, um, and I actually played soccer collegiately, and I didn't become a runner until after college. So, um, you know, maybe the audience of this podcast, maybe they're in the same boat that they made the decision to become a runner as an adult. So they don't have the same experiences of running that maybe some of their faster friends or more experienced friends have. Um, the first time I lined up to do a track race, I'm like, where do I? Stay? and what's <laughs> the waterfall start. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, uh, I transitioned into becoming a runner. I actually had some pretty bad concussions as a soccer player, my sophomore year in college. Um, So I quit playing and I just picked up running in order to just stay in shape. And then I signed up for a 50 K, which is kind of bizarre to do as your first race. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I would say,
2: um, and I, I started it and what I didn't know about running is that I was, I just loved racing. I loved, um, the whole idea of being out there with everybody and I loved the competitive aspect of it. And, um, I realized that I was, I was decent at it so that, you know, just like every other runner, when you accomplish something, it's kind of addicting and got the runner bug and, um, yeah, found a running coach and just went from there and I've been with the same running coach for the last, um, we just celebrated our, our seven year coach athlete anniversary together and just ran, um, got to participate in the marathon Olympic trials in February. So um, yeah, that's kind of uh, I, how I got where I am.
1: Well, just so everyone listening understands, I mean, not just anybody gets to go to these marathon <laughs> time trials. I mean, this is like the best of the best. So, um, how, where did you start and, and, and where are you now? So now I'm assuming you're a two hour and, and something marathoner. So, so where did you start time-wise and, and, and where are you now?
2: Yeah. So my very first marathon, oh my gosh, it was such a mess. I have a lot of choice words about that race, but I'll just say mess for the purposes of explaining how it went. But um, I had no idea, like I didn't own a Garmin. It was like 40 degrees in Jacksonville, Florida, which isn't very common. Um, I had like eight layers of clothes on. I wore a fanny pack. Um, I had headphones in like the everything going on. Um, so I ran a three Oh five, but I was on track to run under three hours. But of course I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, and the last 10 K was a true death March. Um, And then after that, um, I didn't do, I think I ran Boston, you know, the next year, but I was finishing my my education to become a dietitian. And so it was just really difficult for me to race. I did try to go out to California International during my internship to try to qualify for the Olympic trials. And um, it didn't go well. I, I just had too much stress with school. And um, I had moved five times that year. It was just a complete mess. That was maybe 2015. And I'd ran a good half the year before that. I think I ran 116. So everyone was like, Oh, my goodness, you can definitely run a 240 sub 245. And I just was so far away from it. And then in, I kind of got out of school, and um, got into my first job and just kind of established the normal. Life schedule of things being a little bit more predictable, um, having income, having stability, everything that goes along with that that transition, and um, ended up running a lot better, and went back out to California International in 2018 and ran
1: a 2:44. Wow, that's amazing! So, what's the um, what's the range of times that it will typically um, take to get to the Olympic time trials for? Uh, a woman in your age, it, does it go by age groups or is it just everyone's in one group?
2: Yeah, everybody's in one group. And to be honest, I've seen it. I've seen so many people, depending on their background, like I have a training partner right now that just, she ran collegiately in college and her very first marathon, she ran a 243. So um wow. yeah, she's just talented and then has a lot of miles underneath her from a very young age. And then I've seen people You know, for example, um, my coach is super impressive. He's a guy that has unfortunately ran, you know, 219 and change um, over 30 times. But the standard, they've changed it from 217 to 219 a handful of times. And so poor guy has just attempted it so many times and doesn't give up. But, um, you know, this has been definitely like a 10-year thing for him.
1: (laughs) Wow. And for you though, so what would you need to get, um, to qualify for that race?
2: Yeah, it was, um, underneath two hours and 45 minutes. So when I did it, I was, um, definitely the last 10 K hurting, but I think when you're like, okay, you're going to go to the Olympic trials or you're not like, I think you find like this extra power within you to finish it. And I mean, I think that, Everybody kind of has that level within them of like the thing that they're reaching for. It's like you hurt, but you're trying to do this thing. So you're like, shut up for five more miles. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's amazing. Well, all right. So so it's safe to say that you're an incredible marathoner. Um, and and everything that you're about to share with us is going to be valuable because you've lived it and you it obviously works for you and it obviously works for a lot of the runners that that you work with. So yeah. when we talk about Diet and, and fueling and, and all of that good stuff. Um, this is probably something that we get asked the most um, because everybody wants to know what do I eat? Like, what's the magic sauce? What do I eat that's going to make me a better runner? And, and is there like a specific diet that runners should be eating? Is it individual? I know nobody's going to want to hear that answer, that it depends, but it probably does depend. So let's start with the easy question what should runners avoid?
2: Yeah, I think when it comes to like avoiding of like number one, fad diets, um, number two, like in terms of foods of avoiding, I honestly, and you might not like this answer either. I honestly say that no foods are forbidden. Um, just because when we say that we're giving that food a lot of power. So if I tell you, Hey, you know, you can't have cookies. What's the one thing that just innately we're going to want
1: cookies, um, yeah. Um,
2: I do think that as runners, there's things that um, there's a time and there is a place and there's things that we should, you know, if we want to feel our best, and this is a big theme I use with my clients. Um, if your goal is to become a better runner or to lose weight or whatever, what's going to make you the most proud or make you have feel the best in the process of moving towards your goal? Um, so I like that because there's room for treats if you answer that, but there's not room for 10 treats every day. Um, And I think that there are things as runners, like we just need to consume less of. And it's very similar to to what I think about general health. Like, for example, like too many saturated fats – don't have too much of a role um, for us in terms of like energy and fueling and running, but it's also not really great for our health. Well also we know that um, excessive intake of sugar can be quite inflammatory um, for runners and we do repetitive motions over and over again so, runners, we have the tendency to have inflammation in our bodies. It's not necessarily a bad thing all the time. Um, But overconsumption of sugar just for general health isn't going to be the best for us um, in more terms of not just acute inflammation, but chronic inflammation, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So... It's pretty individual, but I I really do try to approach it from a balanced diet. The exact macro split is going to vary from person to person, but um, just try not to keep foods off limits. And on the same note, if you hate kale, you don't have to eat kale.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Can you give me an example of a food that would be high in saturated fat?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. So really fatty, um, like meat products are kind of the saturated fat offender. Um, also like fried foods, um, a lot of foods in the middle aisles of the grocery store, not to say that there's not some hidden gems in the middle aisles of the grocery store. There is that way of thinking is a little bit dated, but, um, think about like, potato chips. If you stick your hand in a bag of potato chips and, and yeah. pull it out and your hand's now greasy, there's some saturated fat going on in there.
3: <laughs> gotcha.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So greasy, oily, Fried. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Fried. Okay. so French fries. I know because I've heard a lot of people say, oh yeah, French fries is my go to uh load the night before. And I'm thinking, I don't, that doesn't sound right to me, but I'm not a dietitian. I can't, I couldn't tell you.
2: Yeah. I mean, people tell me some crazy things that they like set records and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, everybody's so different. I definitely have had conversations with people that would, are so fast and are professional runners that eat some very, very interesting things. Um, so there's magical unicorns out there for sure. But for the most part, you know, things that are, are, really high in those kinds of fats and then really high in sugar isn't isn't going to give that long sustained energy that us as um marathon runners really crave
1: Gotcha okay and then you said sugar so i think everybody knows the sugar piece of it but then it's conflicting because you know we think okay well sugar it gives me carbs and thus gives me energy but you're saying um too much sugar can uh contribute to inflammation is that did i get that right
2: yeah and i'm more like i'm a big fan of carbohydrates and even even the, the all the goods of sports nutrition carbohydrates i can i can get on board with um what i'm more speaking of so nobody listening to this cut out your your um you know, gels and stuff like that. Um, But what I'm more talking about is like sodas and too many concentrated desserts um, and the ones that are are a little bit more, more obvious um, or just excessively eating the sports nutrition products when we don't necessarily require them is another thing that I sometimes see um, with athletes.
1: Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. But but let, now let's talk about foods that would be good, like specific foods. So, you know, is it quinoa or brown rice or avocados or like what food specifically would, would be kind of give you the most bang for your buck?
2: Yeah, such a great question. So I use this framework with my clients of a performance plate because we need a little bit of everything you just named. And then I really work with my clients of identifying like, what is it that you like and that works for you? Let me talk, tell you about the benefits of like, kind of foods that do really similar things. So I'll kind of walk through that performance plate if that's okay with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Awesome. So um, always protein. Protein has such a huge role in um, tissue repair, um, even hormone balance, keeping us satiated between meals. And so protein, um, wide, vast number of of options, but kind of the obvious, any kind of like animal products, always trying to choose the more leaner cuts of meat. If you are someone that does eat meat or um, eggs, um, some low-fat dairies um, legumes, really good sources of protein, so important part on the plate um, another area of the plate is is the starches, so More times than not, I am encouraging complex carbohydrates. I did just have a client today, and this is a beautiful example of how there's flexibility in that. So complex carbohydrates are the carbohydrates that give us energy for longer. So that's like a brown rice over a white rice or whole wheat bread opposed to a white bread. Um, So with that, we want to be choosing more of the complex carbohydrates. This client that I was just talking about, he was like, I hate brown rice. I love white rice. I'm like, awesome. Awesome. Let's try to when you eat rice, eat white rice. But like, let's try to fit other complex carbohydrates within your day, because at the end of the day, they're both giving you energy. Um, and our, our goal isn't to be perfect. Our goal is to get what we need and to do better. And then on, on that same plate, I would recommend fruits and vegetables. If there's not fat by like the method that we cook the food, then adding a a serving of unsaturated fats too. So, um, unsaturated fats are the avocados are the oils, like olive oil, avocado oil is really popular right now, nuts, seeds, um, fatty fishes and stuff like that. So there's a number of ways to do it. Right. Is what I'm getting at. And a lot of times like there's food that that's a lot of hype and there's a lot of benefits, but there's also another way to get to that same result. Um, so kale was really popular for a while, but guess what? Collard greens have really, really similar benefits as kale. So if you don't like kale, but you love you some collard greens, then have at it. Or if you're someone that doesn't like quinoa, but you'll eat brown rice with a little bit of seeds because that's kind of similar to a quinoa, then that's also awesome. Your body can't say... Um hey Harrison you had um quinoa or you didn't have quinoa today you did potatoes and pumpkin seeds um you're not going to get faster this season that's not really how it works it says thank you you gave me some energy you gave me some complex carbs you gave me some healthy fats thank you very much
1: Got it. I I think that's still for a lot of people um kind of complex. So yeah. understand that you, okay you've got your kind of your starchy carbs and you've got your complex carbs. But understanding which are which is which is there is there an easy place that someone could maybe like a, I guess Google is the answer for all, but is there like a, somewhere someone could go to find ideas for for like meal plans? do you, do you have that available on your Instagram or what's the, what's the best way for someone to find that information?
2: So I really like a tailored approach that I use with my clients of just kind of walking them through, okay, how do you even cook? Where do you get your food? Um, You know, what kind of, out of all the complex carbs I just named, if I just named 10 of them, like, what are your favorites? What's sustainable? What's actually going to happen? So I actually do that with my clients. I don't necessarily believe in making someone a meal plan because it works for a month, maybe two months, but in, um, in reality, like people get kind of tired of, of the same foods over and over again. And so I like them to be able to develop the skills to teach themselves how to eat during any season of life or during training for any race. Um, I will mention my very, one of my favorite sports nutrition books, because one of my, um, She's actually, I consider her a mentor. If she ever hears this, she'll, she won't know that she's my mentor, but <laughs> she sends me all of her, her knowledge. Um, she wrote Essential Sports Nutrition, and her name is Marnie Sambel. She's a very accomplished, um, she's gone to Kona a bunch of times, She's triathlete. Um, and I've really loved her book to use with my clients um, to just kind of get a basic understanding of sports nutrition.
1: Got it. What's the name of her book?
2: Essential sports nutrition
1: perfect, okay, so we'll make sure that we put that in the show notes um, so what's your recommendation? so you know you 've got your your foods you should be eating, but kind of learning to develop how to cook them yourselves rather than like a specific meal pa- meal plan, which I really like, uh, but then there is a level of self control that we all need to avoid junk foods and to avoid things that we shouldn 't have, which you know, like you said, you don't want to eliminate certain things because then that's all you're going to want. You're putting too much power into that. But at the same time, we do need to have self-control and discipline. And I think we all have it within us, but we just need a little bit of guidance. So any recommendations for like how to remove yourself from those temptations or how to not want to eat so much junk food all the time?
2: Yeah, I think that it's really, really like if you're someone that struggles with eating a lot of junk food or the discipline or self-control that you said, I think that it's really starting small because a lot of times when people have this expectation of like, it's Monday or it's January 1st, um, you know, diet starts tomorrow, they go from zero to 100. So they go from eating all the junk food in the world to like saying um, they're just gonna eat clean or, you know, they're going to eliminate all of the junk food. So what I've tried to use with my clients. Um, which has been really helpful for them is focusing on areas like really trying to find the root of the junk food. So if it's that they're losing sleep or they're a lot of times, to be honest with you, it's because they're under fueling somewhere in their day. So their body's craving something um, in order to survive. Um, so really focusing on the some of the elements that I talked about on the performance plate, because when you're focused on those elements of, eating satiating meals and fueling your body, um, what ends up happening a lot of the times is you don't have the same type of appetite for the junk foods, not to say it doesn't exist at all, but the need for it. So I see a ton of people starting diets and then craving, you know, more and more junk food because their body's not satiated, especially if they're training and putting in work. Um, so that's a big thing that I see. And then also if they're calorie counting or whatever, they're just putting themselves in too large of a deficit. And so it's really hard to, for them to have that discipline because in reality, they're in a thousand calorie deficit. So then they have that um, piece of junk food or whatever it is. They feel guilty. They self-sabotage. And then that cycle starts all over again. So it really comes from a place of, I try to approach it with my clients of focusing on small tidbits of what can you put in your body? And I'm not just talking about food, but do you need more sleep? Do you need more self-care? I started with a client um, right before the holidays and really the root of all her problems, she felt like she was binge eating at night, but in reality, she was on, you know, on, her phone, computer, all of that kind of stuff until late at night. And then she wasn't sleeping well because she was stressed about work. And then she wasn't in a good routine around the morning. So she was running, skipping breakfast. And then yes, of course, her body's exhausted and starving at the end of the day. So it's really, it identifying, yes, like where are those triggers? Where do they derive from? Because just telling yourself, you know, a whole box of cookies happens every day. I'm not going to do that. I think a lot of times that can set a lot of people up for disappointment.
1: Well, yeah. And I think if you're depriving yourself and you're in this calorie deficit, then you do binge on something. It's that much more satisfying, even though there's all the guilt involved because, you know, you've wanted it and that you had it. And it probably creates some kind of mental association of like this food being so much better than it really is. Right.
2: Oh my gosh. Yes. I was actually looking at this piece of research around dopamine and like treats, like, you know, whether it's fat or sugar or whatever. And they were talking about how like the series, like your course, let's just say cookies, cookies are like one of my favorite foods. So I reference cookies a lot. (laughs) Um, so let's say the first time that I ever had cookies in my life, I ate a cookie and then dopamine, which is the, one of the, um, neurotransmitters that kind of increases in our body. And it's basically when we experience pleasure. And so after you eat the cookie, it rises, right? Well, the very next time I have that cookie, that spike in dopamine is actually going to happen before I have the cookie. So now I have expectations about this cookie and it feels good when dopamine increases. And then um, let's say that you shared a cookie with me that you kind of halfway burnt and the cookie wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. So dopamine would rise before I ate that cookie. I would eat it and then it would actually decline because I would be unsatiated with that cookie. Um, yeah. So it's really, really interesting when people just choose a diet because there's so many behavioral and chemical responses going on in your body when you're trying to avoid a trigger food.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's shift real quick and, and talk about, you know, fueling for, for running. So is there like a specific food that runners can eat before a long run or maybe the the days leading up to it? Or, um, I, I saw, I was watching a YouTube video and this guy from the UK had like rice pudding. I'd never heard of rice pudding before, but apparently that was like a slow burning kind of thing that he ate before his race. But like, is there a magical food that you can eat that has kind of a slow burn and, and long-term, at least something that will get you through your race.
2: Yeah, I think with that, it kind of just, you have to understand energy storages. So we have the energy in our blood. That's like our glucose. I refer that to the cash in our pocket. We spend that very readily. Like somebody puts 50 bucks in your pocket, you know, you spend it. You don't know where, maybe Starbucks, maybe Target, you don't know. Um And we only can carry so much with us at a time. And then we have the energy stored in our muscles. That's called our muscle glycogen. So when we're about to run a marathon, for example, that takes us to taper and then to fuel for um, 48 to 72 hours appropriately in order to have good glycogen storages. I like to fill our glycogen storages or our carbohydrate storages with complex carbohydrates, because those are the more slow burning ones. Um, We also have a storage of glycogen in our liver and that supplies energy to our brain. So super important stuff. So when you bonk in a long run or in a race, the very first symptom for a lot of people is they get like that lightheaded feeling because you're no longer getting energy to your brain. Um... And so what I try to work on with my clients is roundabout answer to, to roundabout response to answer your question. But I really do like focusing on the complex carbohydrates because they burn a little bit more slowly and give you that long sustained energy in the days leading up to a big effort. Whereas right before... I like to put more cash in the pocket because so that's like more of the simple carbohydrates. Um, everybody's a little bit different because everybody responds to carbohydrates a little bit differently. So um, something like the rice pudding, I'm sure it doesn't didn't cause that that runner a lot of gastrointestinal distress, but probably gave them some pretty good energy, whatever it is that you go with, you just want to practice because your stomach adapts to the type of carbs that you're putting into it, which is really fascinating
1: and i think this is an area where so many runners uh, have to learn through trial and error so just kind of pulling some of your knowledge and your experience from the past can you maybe give us some examples of what you might have eaten 72 hours before a race and then and then race day
2: yes i have to tell you this part though so i was i was new in my um nutrition program in college and i was running um have you ever heard of the gate river run in jacksonville
1: no okay
2: so It's the 15K national championship, but it's in my hometown. And um, so I was learning about complex carbohydrates. So I ate this giant bowl of oatmeal because oatmeal is a complex carbohydrate. Um, And it sat in my stomach and was very, very heavy. And so I learned very quickly that I did better with more lighter, simple carbohydrates before a race so what i like to use like before i'll speak specifically of like half marathons and marathons i think those are pretty popular um so i really like i love potatoes i think potatoes are magical kenyans eat a lot of potatoes too you should know that um so they're pretty starchy little little things and so your that fills your glycogen stores really really well the most important thing to know about carbohydrates i should have said this in the beginning your body's goal is to break them down into molecules of glucose. So all of these different, you know, pieces of information of What's better, this or this? At the end of the day, your body's going to find a way to break it down into a molecule of glucose or a molecule of sugar so it can be used as energy. So that's why I'm so passionate about finding things that work for my clients because at the end of the day, a lot of times there's this similar end result. Um, I do really well with um, brown rice to the day before, but those are kind of my two go tos. Um, I know pastas are really popular. It's not that I hate pasta, it's just that more of what people put on pasta. So a lot of times it is, you know, heavier and fat, which would be okay on a normal day, but before a race, it can sometimes make us feel a little sluggish. So if you prepare it at home with like your own marinara sauce, then that's okay. But if you're adding like a lot of butter and cream sauces and stuff like that, then sometimes not the best thing.
1: Yeah. And, and pizza is probably not the best thing either, right? Cause of all the, the greasy fats and stuff.
2: You know, that's kind of how I feel about pizza, but I have my, um, my running coach, like I swear he lives off of pizza. Maybe that's the thing that maybe that's why he hasn't called. No, I'm just kidding. I, not my first choice, but I totally know people who will, will eat some pizza before they race. Um, I just know that if I'm going to dinner somewhere, I would go with something else just because it's not only, um, the grease, which is a really great point, but it's the cheese and that kind of thing. And not that cheese is, um, you know, that is bad for us. It's just that it can be a little bit heavier and not digest quite as well.
1: Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So what I'm gathering in this conversation is that it does depend, which nobody's going to want to hear, but I think, I think running just like nobody can put the miles in for us. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's the same when it comes to diet. Like we have to learn, through trial and error, what's going to work for us. And where where for some people, you know, pizza the night before might work, um, for others, it's not going to. And, um, you know, just speaking from my experience, I've, I've run one full marathon and I'm working on my second. And, awesome. um, I, I didn't, I don't think I fueled well enough. And I think that's okay because I'm still learning. And that's why these conversations with, with you and with other dietitians that we've talked to, I think we get a better picture of, um, other things that we could try. So it sounds like some potatoes, some brown rice, some more complex carbs, uh, in the days leading up to the race will help fill those glycogen storages. And then right before, like you said, you know, maybe some of those more simple carbs. And and I think with that, um, we, we probably can't go wrong, right?
2: Yeah. And I think it, exactly what you said, like taking this information and like using it for like general knowledge, per purposes and then really fine tuning it into your own. Because at the end of the day, I feel like even um, not to say I'm the best sports dietitian, but even to say I feel like I know so much about it just because like I've been my own guinea pig. So I've had the opportunity to take this like textbook knowledge and then you know, turn it into something that's applied. And so that being said, like everybody, while we might not all go to school for nutrition, I think that that's something that you do have to get out there and just get your feet wet. And then just, if you do get GI distress or wrong, just take that as feedback. And that's what makes the sport so fun is like, we're constantly learning.
1: Right. Well, and just just like we might constantly be learning about the shoes that work for us or um, speed workouts that might work for us or not work for us. Um, I think we do need to invest the time into studying nutrition. And and so I think, yeah. And so I think that leads into kind of race day fueling. And this is going to be different from someone like you, who's an elite runner to someone like me, who's just sort of an intermediate or beginner runner. What do you recommend for fueling on race day? Obviously, everybody's going to need to try different things, whether it's the waffles or the gels or, you know, the Gatorades, but like, is there a simple rule of thumb that people can follow to kind of start their practice to, to figure out what works for them?
2: Yes, you're going to love that for once. My response will be like a simple rule of thumb. Um, So (laughs) basically for during race nutrition, um, it is a big range. So I recommend um, or I shouldn't say I created this. I was taught this 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour. So what I do with my clients is really, really find out, do they need closer to 30 or do they need closer to 60? And that's really based on the length of um, you know, how long they're racing. If you're racing for over two and a half hours, you might even need closer to 90 grams per in that same um, time interval. So if you're racing longer than two and a half hours, which is a lot of marathoners, then you might need closer to 90 grams. But what I do, Harrison, is really identify where are we starting from? Have we never taken nutrition before in our lives? Cool. Let's start at 30 grams per hour and then just kind of build that tolerance up and identify Or do you like sports beans or do you like power gels or do you like something that's more in a fluid? Cool. Got that. And then kind of work with them that way, just because so many of these products can cause stomach issues because they are such simple sugars and there's a lot of food additives and crazy things going on in there that doesn't always settle best in our bellies the very first time we try to do it. It just takes practice. Um, But I think that if you're someone that's like, where do I start? Do I need five gels to run a 5K? No, just kind of using that starting at 30 grams per hour. Um, Sometimes with my clients, I say per 45 minutes, just because it does take a little bit to like get it into your system, right? Um, And going from there. And if you're someone that's training, you know, and that starts when we're running over, I like to say over 75 minutes.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So, but if I, so I think most people listening to this are going to be in the four hour range, um, three and a half to maybe let's say six hour range. Let's just kind of make a a wide range. So let's just say in that range, at what point in the marathon do you start taking? And and let's talk full, because I think for a half marathon, you really don't need a lot of fueling, right? You probably maybe a couple of gels, but for the most part, your body kind of already has it. Um, or do you disagree with that? I guess we'll deviate real quick and talk about the half marathon.
2: Yeah. With the half marathon, like I ran a half marathon, um, a week ago now, or two Sunday, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before and I ran 75 minutes. And um, I still took two gels during it. Um, but okay. that's something that I practice all the time. I definitely recommend fuel, but you're right, it's far less than because I kind of explained, okay, the longer that we're running, the more even per hour we need, right? Um, so definitely, yeah. like you can easier back that stuff with you for a half marathon. But just in terms of speaking about the marathons to keep it specific to that three and a half to six hours. Um, So my rule is early and often because a lot of times if you're feeling like it's too late, then there's, you've dug your hole. There's no catching back up. Um, So I like to kind of start like if the, you know, if I can kind of figure out how many gels I need per hour, let's say I figure out I need two gels per hour. Then um, starting with that first one, in the first 30 minutes of the run, which so many athletes will tell me, well, I don't need it or I don't Mm -hmm. want it then. But really you're just making mile 20, mile 21, mile 22 harder on yourself because you've ran out of that muscle glycogen I talked about. So most humans have about an hour and a half of muscle glycogen, which is about translates to about 1500 calories of energy that we can store, which is what, what makes the marathon so unique and so physiologically difficult because it takes longer than that to run for us to run a marathon at this point, all humans at this point. Um, So that's why it's just that physiological barrier after we've been running for longer than, you know, an hour and a half, two hours.
1: Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So you would say then you're, you're 30 to, I think you said up to 90 grams Mm -hmm. of, Mm -hmm. uh, was it grams or was it calories? I'm sorry. Grams. Grams.
2: Good question. Um, per gram of carbohydrate, there's four calories. So most gels are somewhere around a hundred calories.
1: Gotcha. And how many grams would you say each gel? Um,
2: about 25.
1: Okay. So let's just say then I need two gels per hour. So you would take those two within that first hour of the marathon then?
2: Oh yeah. Yep.
1: Okay. Okay. And space it out. How would you space it out?
2: Um, Pretty evenly. It kind of depends on like the tolerance of your stomach. Um, I know personally, I really love to do like a half a gel. Like if it were me and I was trying to do like one gel every 30 minutes, I would probably do a half a gel every 15 minutes. Um, for a lot of reasons, a lot of times people will tolerate that a little bit better, um, like from a stomach, um, standpoint. And then another thing too, like if you get into like places in a race where you're just having like a hard few miles, a mentally hard few miles. It kind of takes your mind off of it because you're like, oh, when do I need to take this gel next? Sure,
1: that's a really good point. That's a great pointer too. Okay, so for everyone listening, about 15 minutes, try to take about a half a gel if you're following that strategy, right? Um, yeah. And obviously that's optional, but practice with it. But I think that's a great, it's a great strategy to to give it a shot. I I personally prefer the the waffles, but at the same time, I don't think I could eat like 20 waffles during a race. That'd be a lot of waffles. Yeah, I think. I think it's probably good to, to mix it up, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, I would practice it in your long runs. And maybe you like switch it up. You're like, okay, logistically speaking, how many waffles do you really want to be have to pack with you? And then um, once you kind of figure that number out, it's just like plug it into what your carbohydrate needs, how much the waffles fulfill and where do we need to fill in gaps, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay, good. So then the race is done. We've finished the 26.2 and there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but I know we're we're limited on time. Um, real quick though, when it comes to calories burned and heart rate, is there a correlation between, okay, if I can keep my heart rate under X, then that means I'm going to burn fewer calories, which means I can make the energy within, you know, what I've taken or, or my storages make it last longer. I mean, is there any thought that goes into that or is that just overthinking it?
2: Totally. So the higher our heart rate is, the more we're burning those glycogen storages, which really what helps training because it helps develop our aerobic fitness. And so if we're focusing on... That's why it's so important too to like follow training plans, run easy when you're supposed to run easy and so forth, um, because we get more efficient at using our fat storages when we're accustomed to running in like lower heart rate zones, which is a really, really important skill. Um, We could talk about fat adapting for so much longer. Um, It's not something that if you just don't eat carbohydrates, you're going to fat adapt. What's really important to understand is it's multiple systems and metabolic pathways in your body working at the same time. But yes, for sure, keeping your heart rate down, you're able to rely more on your fat storages, which you and I both have at least 80,000 calories of fat stored in our body body. Um, yeah, crazy. Right. And so the problem is, is when our, our heart rate's too high, we tend to use more of those glycogen storages and 1500 calories stored in our muscle is a lot less than 80,000. Right. (laughs) So that's more of a, um, a true running runners budget of energy.
1: And I think this is probably going to be different for an elite versus someone who's just running to finish their first marathon, but is there a heart rate range that you recommend on race day, you stay under?
2: Not necessarily. Not It's going to have to do a lot with it. And that's something that I'm just not as knowledgeable about. I don't coach running. Um, I'm not as knowledgeable about it. Um, just And I don't look at heart rates while I'm racing because I think that would make my heart rate just go higher. <laughs> if I saw yeah. what it was. Um, right. I've looked at a marathon before, and I've seen my heart rate for a marathon as high as like 183, which is pretty darn high. Um, so, yeah, I think that one's... A, you know, maybe just an area that I'm not quite as knowledgeable about, or, um, you know, I more see like heart rate training more specific to your heart rate guidance and parameters more specific to your training and maybe not as much, um, racing.
1: Got it. Okay. Before I let you go, can you just tell me real quick about recovery and, um, a couple of things that might be good to take in right after a long run or right after a race?
2: Yes. Oh my goodness. So many runners neglect this and it's like my pet peeve. Um, So it's a combination of protein and carbohydrates together. So really what we're looking for after a long run or after especially a marathon is at least 20 grams of protein and then three to four times the amount of carbohydrates. So that would put you at 90 to, I'm sorry, no, I can't do math right now, 60 to 80 grams of carbohydrates. and. Why that is so, so important is the protein really does the work of repairing your tissues and muscles that you just broke down um, while you were working out or while you were racing. And the carbohydrates... Um, have two really, really important roles. Number one, um, it replaces all of those energy storages that I talked about because your heart rate is higher. So you have more blood moving to your muscles. So doing it within 45 minutes of working out or ending a run is so crucial because the protein and carbohydrates are going to be able to move to those working muscles a little bit better. Um, You don't need this for every run. Long runs, maybe hard runs, more important. Um and then also the carbohydrates in that, not only does it replace the energy storages, it also like works together with the protein to repair the tissues and muscles. So they're kind of a network of together, just making sure that your body is recovered. Um, and it's definitely a thing, especially with racing, that people neglect. But for example, um, I raced early December and I didn't run quite what I wanted to run in half marathon. And I knew I was going to try to run and race again in two weeks, which is a pretty quick turnaround. And I went like straight to chocolate milk. Like I, I didn't have any recovery snacks with me. Um, so I went straight to a gas station, got some low fat chocolate milk. And I really do think like, because I knew I was going to try to turn around really fast and race again. Um, and I really do think that coming off of a, a race, it, it helped me along with other things.
1: Is that because chocolate milk has like the the carbs from the sugar, but then also the fats from the, the milk? Exactly. Yep.
2: Yep. It, it, it's kind of a natural perfect formula. There's so many other yep. ones. I will say that a fair share of my clients aren't comfortable with drinking chocolate milk. I am a very practical thinker, um, and desperate times call for different desperate, desperate measures. Sure. Um, but yeah, there's definitely other options out there that, um, some of my clients, they like specific sports recovery formulas that kind of have the same thing. Some of my clients pack their own food. That's a similar composition to, to the 20 grams of protein and 60 to 80 grams of carbs.
1: Got it. Well, thank you so much for your time. How can our mm-hmm. listeners find you if they want to learn more from you or, or maybe even, I don't know if you're taking, are you taking on new clients at this point?
2: Yeah, I am. I just opened it back up. My program was full for the end of um 2020, but moving into the, the new year, um, I know this. You said this might not air exactly, you know, in the time frame that we're in right now. But um, yes, taking on more new clients. My Instagram handle is Sports Dietitian Kelsey. My business name is actually Meteor Nutrition, which is a little bit confusing. Um, I have a free Facebook community called Endurance Sports Nutrition where I do. I talk about a lot of these topics we talked about um, in videos or in graphics all the time. And I try to make that content a little bit more intricate than than just my normal Instagram because I feel like these people are coming to the group for more
1: knowledge. Perfect. Okay. So everybody go follow that Facebook group. I think they'll get a lot more of the details because I know after this interview, there's going to be so many additional questions and that's just (laughs) because this is such a busy topic. So thank you again so much. We really appreciate your time.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, Harrison, for having me.
1: Wow. Are, are you guys as impressed as I am? That was awesome. Kelsey is so full of knowledge. So go check her out on all the socials, her website, uh, meteornutrition.com And, uh, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make it an awesome day, and until next time.
0: Follow us on Instagram at crummy
1: Marathoners.
0: We'd love to hear your feedback and take any questions you might have. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes come out. And please leave us a five-star review so more people can join this funny journey with us.
1: Our theme song is Change the World by Breck. You can find his music on Spotify, search his name under B-R-E-K-K.